Our Father, we come before you now in the name of the Lord Jesus to give you honor and praise and worship for you deserve our undivided worship, Lord. And so that's our desire this morning is to come together and to worship you in this hour by looking into your word and striving to understand it and then, Lord, ultimately to apply it to our lives. And Father, then in a in the coming worship hour, we desire again to give you worship that's acceptable in your sight. We thank you this morning for the scriptures. We thank you for the book of Daniel and what you are doing and will continue to do with it. Lord, I pray that we would cut it straight and get it right, that our discussion would be pleasing to you and that you would be able to accomplish your will. We ask that your spirit would illumine our minds and show us the truth as only he can, and may we be ready to accept it. All to your glory and honor. Amen. So this is week number four in our study of the book of Daniel, and last time we made it, actually started into the chapter one, and we made it through the first ten verses. And this morning we'll pick up where we left off, but just kind of as a quick review, Daniel initially gives us the time frame of when this happens, and he says that it's in the third year of the reign of a king named Jehoiakim, who is king in Judah in Jerusalem. And if we've been through this a couple of times, that matches up to the year 605 B.C., so Daniel is taken in a first deportation of the Israelites to uh, Babylon. There will be two more times when uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, comes against Jerusalem. One will be in 597 when he again takes a, a group of 10,000 people back to Babylon. Included in that group is Ezekiel. So Ezekiel goes uh, some seven years after Daniel does, and then ultimately in 586, actually the siege starts in 585, he'll come and siege Jerusalem and destroy the city, destroy the temple, kill all the people, um, leave the land in, in a desolate condition. But this is the year 605 is when Daniel is reflecting back. He's not writing this until some 70 years later but he's reflecting back, and so because he reflects back, he's writing in third person for these first six chapters, calling himself Daniel uh, from the third person perspective. And you remember this group, first group of Israelites that were taken, were taken because they were, first of all, young, but they were also good-looking, they were intelligent, they were apt to learn, um, and so they were the best of the best. And Daniel made it into that cut. Ezekiel did not. Ezekiel comes later. And so Daniel is probably 16 or 17 years old when he's taken captive and taken to Babylon. And he and all the other youths who are taken with him are treated extremely well. Um, Nebuchadnezzar gives the orders that they're to be trained in the uh, literature and language of the Chaldeans for three years. And during that time, they're to be fed 
the king's choice food and his wine. And so um, they're treated extremely well, kind of a brainwashing going on here. Get them devoted to Babylon, change their language, change their names, change their king, train them for three years, treat them extremely well so that they'll then be loyal to the king and can serve in the king's court. So uh, a brainwashing really going on here. But Daniel, because he was born by the providence of God during the reign of Josiah, knows the law and practices the law. And probably all these other guys who go with him also are in the same condition. They were born and raised during the reign of King Josiah, and so they should also know the law, but apparently they're not as devoted as Daniel is, because Daniel and his three friends uh, all decide that they will not defile themselves by eating this king's food. And we talked about this, there's probably a couple of reasons, maybe more, but this food would have probably have been sacrificed to idols, so um, to eat it would be to um, bow to those idols. Um, also, probably some of this food would not match to the dietary laws in the Mosaic law and would violate those. So again, defile the body of the one who took it. And so Daniel determines in his mind um, that he will not do that, that he will not um, eat this food. So. The, the big point, I believe, about chapter 1 here, um, you know, most of what Daniel writes and some of the things that are kind of uh, in the history, the, the real theme here is the, pro, is the sovereignty of God, that God is orchestrating everything that is happening both to Daniel and in the nation of Israel or Judah um, at this time um, according to his own purposes. And you remember we, we talked about this. Um, King Josiah is very significant in, David's, in Daniel's life. But two kings before Josiah was a man named Hezekiah. And when the Assyrians came against Israel, the northern kingdom, and took them into captivity, Hezekiah was the king in Judah. And they tried to come into Judah and Hezekiah pushed them back. But Hezekiah got sick, he then got better. <clears throat> he goes through a lot of things in his life, but he becomes very proud. And so the son of the king of Babylon comes to visit him, actually sends him a letter uh, congratulating him on his kingship and all of that, and he invites him to come and visit with him. And when he does, Hezekiah shows him all the wealth of the treasuries of Israel. Um, and then because of that, Isaiah, the prophet, comes and speaks to Hezekiah and says, because you have done this, the day is coming when Babylon will take all the treasuries of the house of, of the Lord and of Judah back to Babylon with them. So a, a judgment pronounced to Hezekiah. Okay, after Hezekiah is gone, then uh, his son, a man named Manasseh, becomes king. And Manasseh does great evil in the sight of God. He causes his son to walk through fire, meaning he dies, he sacrifices his own son. He um, 
is very caught up in the cultic or mystic things. He uses a lot of divinations and um, worship of false gods in his religion. And he leads all of Judah into gross idol worship, sets up idols all throughout the land. And so because of that, again, God says that he is going to bring calamity on Judah and Jerusalem. And actually he says that for Jerusalem, he's going to wipe it as you would wipe a dish, meaning he's going to totally decimate them. And that's and it's because of the sins of Manasseh. And God says, I will not forgive and I will forsake the remnant because of the sins of Manasseh. And so he wipes out Jerusalem ultimately because of the sins of Manasseh. And when you get to that part where Nebuchadnezzar is wiping them out, they say because of the sins of Manasseh. So this was an evil, wicked king. Well, after Manasseh comes his son Amon. Amon only reigns two years, and then after Amon comes Josiah. And the scripture says that Josiah was the greatest king that the Israelites ever had. And that includes Solomon, that includes David, that goes all the way back to the first king, Saul. That there never was or will ever be a king such as Josiah in his greatness and in his devotion to God. During his reign, the high priest finds the book of the law, that would be the books that Moses wrote, in the house of the Lord, and Josiah, under the leadership of the high priest, reforms the land and begins to practice according to the book of the law. And he ultimately, even before Daniel is born, he reinstitutes the Passover. And apparently he was more specific in the way that he worshiped the Passover and all the other festivals than even King David was. So Josiah is greater than King David, which is saying a lot, uh, the man after God's own heart, that Josiah, is, the scripture specifically says he's the greatest king that Israel ever had. So um, by the providence of God, during the reign of Josiah, after he's instituted great reform, torn down all the idols, reinstituted the Passover, Daniel is born and raised for the first 13, 14 years of his life. And so he has taught the law. He is he's born and raised in one of the best periods that Israel ever had under King Josiah. Um, and then ultimately, uh, Josiah dies, and three years later, Daniel is taken um, to Babylon. Again, by the orchestration of God that Nebuchadnezzar is beginning his sieges of Israel. And so you see the, how God is orchestrating, pronouncing judgment, bringing a good king, Josiah, so that Daniel might be born and raised under the law so that he might know the law, because apart from Josiah instituting those reforms, he had no idea about the book of Moses and, and what it said and what the dietary restrictions were. He had no, no way to know that because the people of Judah did not know that until Josiah was king. 
And so by the providence of God, Daniel was born at that time so that God could then use Nebuchadnezzar to take him from Jerusalem before it's destroyed and take him and move him to Babylon so that he can then be go through this time of training in the language and the literature of the Chaldeans so that he can become really King Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. No one closer to King Nebuchadnezzar that we know of other than Daniel. And we'll see that as he relates these stories to us. You even see it at the end of what we'll look at this morning, that God using all of those things to put Daniel in a position of privilege and of um, where he could write this book and that he could see the visions that God gives him that ultimately give us a lot of light about what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom or before the millennial kingdom that we studied in the book of Ezekiel, trying to put those things together. So. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly in the story of Joseph, forsaken by his brothers, told, his father told that he was killed, Joseph um, ultimately thrown into prison, but because of the wisdom that God gave him and the revelation that he was able to give to Pharaoh, he's elevated to number two in all of Egypt. No one higher than Joseph in Egypt other than Pharaoh himself. And this is some Israelite, some Jew, that God orchestrated in his life that he might be put in that privileged position so that he might save all of his brothers in the land of Egypt. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and Israel never has been faithful. And we've seen this. I mean, when they went into the promised land, that they weren't, uh, that Joshua did a great thing in taking some of the land, but they never did what God said. And as soon as a great leader is gone, they turn to evil and idol worship. And, and so never, I mean, there are periods in Israel's history where they have a great leader like Moses and then Joshua and then not until really, um, I guess it's Samuel who comes next, and then, and then King David. Solomon is not a good guy. I mean, that's why the kingdom is divided when he dies. Um, and then ultimately, Josiah is the only other good one. And you go all the way up until they, I mean, they return back to their homeland. They do some things. Zerubbabel re- rebuilds the temple, but it's so pitiful that the priests weep because it has no way compares to the original temple that Solomon built. So the, the, the priests literally weep because it's so pitiful. And, the, and then all the way up until the time of Christ, they're not faithful when Christ comes. 
and never have been since and aren't today. Yeah, I mean, Romans 1 is not specific to us other than it's specific to all generations. I mean, because if you go back 200 years, it was just as wicked as it is today. You go back 1,000 years, it was just as wicked as it is today. Although they knew God, they did not honor God. Right. And we, yeah, we don't, we don't recognize it. Okay, so that brings us all up to verse 11 in chapter 1. So I just want to read down through the end of the chapter that we'll cover today. So beginning in Daniel 1:11, the scripture reads, But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of 10 of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Okay, so we, we pick up in verse 11. And Daniel has already asked the commander um, if he can have a different diet. And the commander doesn't say yes, he doesn't say no. He says, I'm fear for my own head if you don't look as good as the others. So in verse 11, Daniel goes to the next level of authority. You go the king, and then the commander, and then you come to this overseer, and then you would have Daniel. So this overseer is a lower in rank than the commander, but he's Daniel's personal caregiver. He's his overseer. And so Daniel not getting satisfaction at the top level goes to the next level. Um, and he asks him the same question. Can we not eat this choice food, but eat just vegetables and water? And 
Let's not do this indefinitely, Daniel suggests. He says, just do it for 10 days and then take a look at us and see what you think. Okay, now this passage does not promote in any way, I believe, uh, being a vegetarian. Okay, so don't take it and run there with it because that's not what it's about. It's about that he could not eat the other food because of its condition. So the vegetables would not have been sacrificed to idols. They would just be vegetables. And so, nevertheless, at the end of the 10 to, and, and notice Daniel's confidence and faith that God will honor him obeying the dietary laws. Because he says, after 10 days, compare us, and then however we look, compared to the other guys, do what you think is right. And so he puts it into that guy's hands totally, but trusting God that they'll look as good as the others. And at the end of 10 days, they look better than the, the others who are eating all the king's choice food and drinking his wine. So they didn't drink the wine, they drank water, and they ate vegetables and no meat. And yet God, because of them honoring him and obeying him and not defiling themselves gives them good health and causes them to look better than the others whom they're being compared to. So, of course, if you're the guard, if you're the overseer, even though the king had given a direct decree that these guys were to eat this food, because they look better, he continues to do the same thing. And presumably he does that for the full three years that they're in training because they continue to look better and to gain wisdom and knowledge and all of that. So he doesn't change the pattern because it's working. And so Daniel and his three friends have escaped the defilement by eating the wrong food that God had in the Mosaic law forbidden them to eat. And so they're Daniel being faithful, God being faithful in return um, to him. Now, you know, in verse 14, this overseer hears this, and I believe by the direction of God, agrees to test them. I mean, he had no reason to test them. He could have easily said, nope, sorry, you either eat this or you eat nothing. But, you know, we saw it in verse 9 that God gave, granted Daniel, favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials, I believe he does the same thing in the overseer's mind, that he grants Daniel compassion and, um, and uh, favor. And God is able to do that in the hearts of men. And so he does it here with the overseer also. Right. And when you have when you have a conscience that is being violated by what you know to be right from wrong, it is very clearly known that it has a physiological effect on you. Right. And all these other guys, like I said, they would have yeah. they're all the same age. You know, they're they're mid teenagers, mid late teenagers. So they're all about the same. 
And so they would have been born and raised under Josiah also, so they knew the law, and yet they willingly violated it because the king who had captured them gave them a command. So they're going to obey what he says because they're in captivity, even though they're being treated like royalty. So, um, yeah, and, but you, you have to believe that Daniel's three friends, um, maybe by some persuasion of Daniel, but certainly they determined not to defile themselves also because they were willing to risk along with Daniel. So all four of these guys are in this together, and God honors all four of them. Daniel the most, but clearer, but he favors and honors all of them and their devotion to him. Now, you, you keep going here, and so they, in verse 16, they've avoided defilement. And then notice in verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood visions and dreams. Now, we know later that Daniel interprets dreams. But apparently, during these three years, he's already doing that. But, and, and if you think about it, later, we'll see it in chapter 2, the... Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he forgets the dream. And so he wants the wise men to tell him what the dream was and to interpret it for him. And, of course, they all go, there's nobody who can know what you dreamt unless you tell us what you dreamt, and he can't tell them because he's forgotten it. Okay, but Daniel, because he's in the king's personal court, walks into the king's room and request some time that he might be able to tell him the interpretation of the dream. So only because of what God is doing here in Daniel's life could he be so close to the king that he could just walk into his room without having you know, some pretense or some discourse or having to go through some ritual or being invited by the king. He just walks in, is what the scripture says. And so we'll see that, that this... Maybe Daniel was bold enough to do that because during these three years, he had already interpreted some visions and dreams. And so he knows that God can help him do that. And so he's bold to go before the king and say, give me some time and I'll tell you the dream and what it means because of what's going on here in these three years. Okay, now it says that God also... Um, gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of the literature. Now, this doesn't just mean that all of a sudden, snap, they had all this intelligence and wisdom. And I'll, I'll use a personal example. Um, when I can remember this as clear as day. When I went to Georgia Tech 45 years ago, okay, long time ago, but I can specifically remember, especially in my freshman year, that occasionally I would walk the campus to the buildings where I was taking class. And I would ask God to give me favor and help me to understand the material and to do well in the class. And I would do this often. I would do it every day, every other day. 
Um, I can remember it clear as day. And I would spend an hour. Now, to me, an hour was precious um, because that was an hour not studying. And the courses were hard and they were difficult. But I felt that was the right thing to do. And later when grades were posted, God showed me it was the right thing to do. Now, I say that not so much to say what I did, but in the times when I wasn't walking to those buildings, I was a workaholic when I went to college. I mean, I studied all the time. I was a dual major, had lots of scientific classes that I was taking in both electrical and mechanical engineering, difficult subjects. And so if I wasn't lifting weights or eating or sleeping, I was typically, you would find me in the library, up on the upper floors, in a little cubby hole, all by myself, studying and working hard problems. And that's what I did. That was my life when I was going to college. That's all I did. Every 11 days, I would take off three days and go back to my hometown to visit my later fiance and spend three days with her. Then I'd go back to school and for 11 days, that's all I did. And, and so 11 on, three off, and that's how I went to college for four years. And, but God gave me favor and, and gave me the ability to understand and to gain knowledge and to do well in school. I'm, I know that as clear as anything, but he didn't do it apart from me working strenuously and hard. And so even in Daniel's life here, it isn't, it isn't like let go and let God do what he's going to do and everything will work out good for you. That's not how it works. God honors diligence and hard at work. So I am certain that Daniel and his three companions studied and worked hard to gain this knowledge, but God gave them favor and poured into them knowledge and wisdom not apart from them working. And that's how God always works. He, he has a plan. He is sovereign. He will work his plan, but he will not do it apart from the devotion of the people who believe in him. And so he uses the efforts of men to accomplish his purposes. He uses the decisions of men to accomplish his purposes. And yet over it all, he is going to accomplish what he has planned. But you don't know what that is, and I don't know what that is. And so we do apply ourselves and work hard. And God then, as he desires, according to his will, will give favor and bring the end results. And in my life, it was to do well in school. Um, that isn't true for everybody who went to school with me, um, and even though they worked as hard as I did. But God favored me, and I did well. Um, so I believe Daniel and his friends studied hard and gained the knowledge and wisdom that God gave them. But he didn't do it apart from them working and, and putting forth effort. So God gives them knowledge and intelligence and ability beyond those of their contemporaries. And so the favor of God is clearly on these four men and God continues um, in verse 20. Um, you notice that um, at the end, he says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them 10 times better 
than all the others. Now that doesn't mean literally 10 times better. It just means the other guys could not be compared to them. That these guys were head and shoulders above. Now at the end of three years of their training, you know, that's a long time when that's all you have to do is eat the king's choice food and drink wine and be trained in the language and um, the literature of the Chaldeans. And so three years is a long time. These guys, Daniel probably moves from 16 to 19, maybe 17 to 20, somewhere in that time frame. All these other guys are about the same. So they're all maybe in their um, early 20s to late teens. And they all, now you can, this is your final exam, okay? You're going to go before the king, and he's going to interview you. And of course, if you don't do well, I mean, this is the king. He can just have your head cut off if he wants to. If you disappoint him in any way, he can pronounce judgment in a heartbeat, and you're done. So that's your final exam after three years of studying, is you get to go and have a personal interview with, Nebuch with King Nebuchadnezzar. All of them individually go before the king. And what the king notices is that Daniel and his three friends are head and shoulders above all the others. Why? Because they worked hard and God granted them knowledge and wisdom. That's why. God poured into them. God gave them favor because they obeyed him in the Mosaic law and they trusted him in gaining knowledge and wisdom and worked and God poured favor into them. Such that a pagan king who was full of idol worship recognized that these four were better than anybody else. And so because they're better than anybody else, they serve in Nebuchadnezzar's personal court, not just in the general court of the king, you know, where there's a lot of duties to be done, but they serve as his personal um, assistants. And Daniel especially. And, and because in the next chapter, Daniel is the one who interprets the dream when no one else can. And we'll go through that as we study that chapter. But God clearly accomplishing, as we said, the sovereignty of God to get Daniel into a position of a personal assistant to King Nebuchadnezzar so that he can do what he does in the other stories that come by after this. And God uses Daniel significantly. I believe later when we'll see it that Nebuchadnezzar goes insane, literally. He goes out into a field and acts like a wild animal for seven periods of time, which I believe are seven years. We'll talk about that when we get there. But for seven years, he's insane. And so who's running the kingdom? Doesn't say, but I think Daniel's running the kingdom because that, he's in that position. And it says all the people fear to go against the king while he's insane. Why? Because Daniel said after seven years, he's coming back. And so they believed what Daniel said. And they said, oh, we do something bad now. We're going to pay for it in seven years. And so everybody just maintained status quo. And Daniel ran the kingdom. So you see God accomplishing in Daniel's life what he wants to, putting him in a position that he wants him to be in.
so that he can do all the things that we will see later in the book of Daniel. Now, in the, the last verse here that we'll cover today, which is verse 21, it says, And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Now, unless you know ancient history really well, you don't know what he's talking about here. Cyrus was the king of Persia when Persia overtook Babylon. Now, <laughs> Daniel, already being the guy who's writing this, after Cyrus has already come into power, and so he just adds this footnote that Daniel continued. Now, what happened to his friends? We don't know. We know that they go through the fiery furnace and come out fine in chapter 3. But after that, we don't know anything about them. So we assume they served in the king's court and died a natural life. Um, Daniel lives exceptionally long um, because he'll, he'll write this book some 70 years after this chapter occurred. So he's at least... 85, maybe older, when he writes this book and has all the visions that God gives him. So he's an old, old man. Um, Cyrus, you remember at 605 BC when Daniel was taken into captivity, Cyrus doesn't become, doesn't overtake Babylon until 66 years later in 539 BC. I mean, that's pretty well chronicled in history. Um, and so in this verse, Daniel jumps 65 years into the future and says that Daniel, speaking of himself, continued into the first year of Cyrus the king. Now, he continues further than that because he becomes the personal assistant of the... Cyrus appointed king of Babylon after um, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belteshazzar, um, Belshazzar, is taken away and killed. And Cyrus comes in and rules. Then Daniel becomes as prominent in the Persian government as he was in the Babylonian government. He continues in that position. And so... God giving him great favor to serve in two different kingdoms as one of the highest officials in the land. Again, so that God can accomplish what he wants to. He also um, is not said in Daniel, but he says that he's reading the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah lived during the, um, before Daniel, but he lived during Daniel's lifetime. So maybe he personally gave Daniel his writings. We don't really know. But Daniel has them and is reading them later in this book. And so he has, he's in a privileged place. He's able to read the Mosaic Law. He's able to read the book of Jeremiah. Um, I mean, God is using him to preserve his scriptures and to preserve um, really the remnant of Israel that goes back. So um, God... Yeah. He knew exactly when the release was going to take place. Yep. I mean, that is a 
Yeah, yeah. You know, the book of Daniel isn't uh, literal except for where it is, right? I mean, it's that kind of thing. Um, you know, what I will do, and um, you'll have to learn to live with this, is I'll be literal in every interpretation of what we see in Daniel, even in the visions. Okay, because I, I mean, they're, they're certainly symbolic, but we're given the interpretations. And so, you know, why would you not believe what the interpretations say? Um, so anyway, we'll come to all that in the future. But for today, chapter one, we're done. Thanks for your time.